but it's about taking those teeny tiny steps every day to give your brain more and more proof that you are good with money, that you're worthy of getting paid for your skills. Hey everyone, I'm Emily Reagan, and you've discovered Unicorns Unite. This is a podcast for freelancers, service providers, virtual assistants, and curious listeners who would like to experience the freedom and flexibility of working virtually. We're the magic makers, movers and shakers, and the real people doing the work behind the scenes of online businesses. Welcome to Unicorns Unite. Hey, welcome back to the show. If this is your first time, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, Emily Reagan. I'm really excited about this episode, you guys. I am so passionate about helping women become financially independent. It is something that we all need to have a plan B. For whatever reason, we need to be able to take care of ourselves. We need to be able to provide for our family. We need to be able to jump into the job market. Heaven forbid anything happen. And with that... I have a guest today, Chelsea Brennan, who is a money mindset coach, former hedge fund investor. She is amazing. She specifically helps moms, but what she's teaching here today helps all women. And I really want you to listen to this because it's all about not avoiding the numbers. I recently had a pricing and packaging workshop for VAs, and we went over some stuff like Knowing what you need to make in order to live, knowing your minimal acceptable rate, knowing what your living and business expenses are. And a lot of our money mindset comes from these childhood memories. And Chelsea is going to unpack a lot for you today. I encourage you to check out her freebies. Find her on Instagram. She has the most hilarious reels. And I hope you learn a lot. So let's jump in. Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast today. I am super excited about this episode because I have an ex-hedge funder. What what is the word I need to say? (laughs) Hedge fund manager, investment manager. (laughs) Thank you. Whatever works. (laughs) I totally botched that. I was like, oh, I don't know the actual noun, but I have a very smart money mama here, Chelsea (laughs) Brennan, to teach us about money mindset, financial independence as females and as female entrepreneurs. So thank you so much for joining us here. Tell everyone where you're at and about your family and all of that. Absolutely. So I'm Chelsea Brennan, the founder of Smart Money Mamas. We live in Connecticut, right by actually where UConn's main campus is. I have two little boys. My youngest actually turns four on Sunday, which is really exciting. And then my oldest turns six next week, which will be great. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. So I run the ship by running Smart Money Mamas. I love that. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions. The reason I wanted to have you on the show is I am such a believer in financial independence. Like I have been a military spouse, always playing second fiddle to my husband's career, which was my choice. But there was a big like loss of self, loss of identity, like putting my career on the back burner. And that's why I'm so happy I found this online world. But a lot of that comes with like I don't know, just the feeling of like, I'm not saving enough. I'm not doing enough. I haven't been contributing. And so I know all of the women in my group are facing these. They're at different points in their life. Some are starting out their career. Some are retiring and picking up freelance work. And I know like you can speak to this uh, need to have financial security and independence. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So first of all, 
obviously we're both entrepreneurs. You teach entrepreneurs. We have a lot of entrepreneurs and career women in our community. But I want to say first, even if you're a stay-at-home mom and your goal is just to have a side hustle, you can be actively engaged in the finances, right? You in many ways are the person, and, and women in general, when you look at the research, are the ones that control the spending. We're the ones that manage the budget in two-thirds of households in the U.S., right? And so I want you to embrace that financial power. So even when you're feeling disconnected from the money, as you build your business, as you do what you want to do, know that you have a lot of say here. So I, I want you to remember that. But on the other side, we do have a lot of situations where women have stepped out of the workforce and they do, they feel disconnected just from purpose and like using their superpowers. And that totally happens as well. But where something happens and all of a sudden they are responsible for themselves again, right? They lose a spouse, they get divorced, their spouse gets sick and they end up in this very precarious position. And so my parents got divorced right when I got out of college. My mom had been a stay-at-home mom for 20 years. She loved it. And she has since built an amazing business and done fantastically. But at first, it was really scary, right? It was really scary to not have that resume and to not have that sense of like really having your hands in the finances because my dad did everything. So you see that happen a lot. And just having some sense of, you know, you have buy-in, you know what's going on, you know what your money is, you know what your credit score is, offers that mental sense of security so that you can do more. I love that. And as a military spouse, I have to say I'm the default parent and I am the one who manages the money because I have to be able to pay the bills when he's gone for a year. So I'm actually very much in control, but I have a lot of friends who aren't, who don't know what's going on, who are totally in the dark about that. So what do you have to say for them? Like what advice do you have for them? So first let's remember that two thirds manage the budget. So the budget is being okay. like the money that goes in and out the door, right? Okay. There's actually this big disconnect between managing that and managing our long-term view of our family's money, right? This is retirement. This is estate planning. This is women still today in 2022 are very disconnected to that in a lot of households. And so it creates this whole scarcity mindset, right? And this goes all the way back to the 50s to 20s where women were trying to just make ends meet in the household. And so they managed the household budget. And so our focus is still, you know, have you ever seen a couponing blog directed at dads? Like, no, right? So it's <laughs> it's this very much like, how do I just make it to the next day? And it separates us from being able to think long-term. What do I want my life to look like in 10 years? How am I going to afford that? You know, Am I using my skills in a way that I'm going to look back and feel like I really accomplished what I wanted to accomplish? And so if you're in the budget side already, this is a great opportunity to go in and say like, hey, like I know this is how much we spend. How much are we saving? What are our goals? What are we doing? If you're not actively engaged at all, Start small, right? First of all, you can pick something that you do control because even if you don't manage the whole budget, you do something, right? You're the one who does all the grocery shopping. You're the one who buys all the kids clothes. Look back and see how much you're spending on those things and figure it out. And then start conversations with your spouse. And it can really be as simple as saying, hey, I watched this Facebook Live and I'm thinking about the fact that I really have no idea what's going on in our finances. And like, if something happened to you, I'm really nervous about that situation. Can we talk about it? And start from that place. Don't go to blame. Don't go to like, you've left me out or like some any real shame place. Just start with like, how can we get on the same page? So we have this product called the Family Emergency Binder, which is meant to like fill the gaps between what a will does and what life insurance does and what actually needs to happen if something happened to your partner, right? And so this is, does your significant other, and maybe you're the one who manages this, but do you both know how to pay the bills? Do you both know what 
bills are on auto pay and from which accounts do you know, you know, your kids' favorite foods and bedtime routines. I see this a lot with parents where one parent is the primary caregiver where they, you know, have to go in for surgery for a couple of days or whatever. And the other parent is lost, right? They're like, (laughs) I can't get them to eat dinner. I can't get them to go to bed. And like, so it's a place to just kind of write all that information down. January is a great time and a great way to start that conversation with your partner and with aging parents, right? Like, hey, let's fill this out together so that we kind of all know what's going on so that if something happens, we're prepared. And it lets you see a full picture of all your accounts, of all your status. And that's also a really good place to start and an easy way to enter the conversation. I love it because it reminds me of like an SOP for life. Exactly. We all need that. I feel like every time we move or start over, my husband's getting ready to retire. So we're like, where does that come out of? Like, what account does that come out of? And like, what do we need to watch out for when the, like the paycheck stops and just having that, I have it like halfway down. A lot of it's in here though, which is not good, but I totally agree with that. I feel like I need to do better with my own life and like getting organized. And like you said, I mean, I have a friend God bless her family. Husband is fighting cancer right now. So like the grandparents have come in and like to be able to just give that to them and just step away. Cause like, she's so preoccupied. She's with him. He's immunocompromised. Like that would be helpful too. So not to be like doom and gloom here, but like, I think that's our fear as a mother in general. And that can just like tame that anxiety. Like somebody could step in and do this and I could, you know, be taken away to do something else. And it's not doom and gloom, right? I think that it can feel that way. Our ability to talk about money, about debt, like we have weird taboos in our whole society, but like, I love when we talk to people who are like, well, if anything ever happens to me and we have to be like, well, someday something's going to happen to you, right? Like we don't live forever. It's going to happen. But like, you can think of this kind of planning, this kind of work as an act of love, right? Like by filling this out, by taking the time to fill this out, I am saving my loved one's time and grief and headache. And I'm able to be there for them in this document, even if I can't physically be there for them. And so that is something that we we work a lot with people of, especially with aging parents, right? We hear from people who have lost somebody and just the headache of managing the estate. Anyone who's watched somebody have to manage an estate it's a huge job. And so this isn't what we're going to talk about at all, but like, I do think it's a really good entry point. If you don't know what's going on to fill something like this out. Yeah. Oh my God. I have to say one thing about that. Watching my parents deal with their grandparents makes me want to do something different because they're having such a hard time having these conversations and there's Mm -hmm. like huge generation gaps. So we are more informed, which is why you're here today to like (laughs) help us get our heads on straight and be thinking big picture. So today we're going to talk a lot about like financial independence and as a female entrepreneur, especially like building that wealth and that security. So where do you want to start? So let's talk a little bit about mindset, right? Because I think this is a place that a lot of us get stuck, especially if you are someone who's been out of the workforce for any period of time for any reason, right? You're a military spouse, you're, you're a stay-at-home parent. A lot of us have built these negative relationships to, well, I'm bad with money. Well, I'm not the one who's involved, right? Whatever it is. And those feelings can come from that time out of the workforce, but more often actually come from way, way back when we were kids, right? So this is going to blow everybody's mind, but your core money beliefs are set by age seven. No. <laughs> and so every time we talk about this, people are like, that can't be right. But it really is. So by age three, we understand the basic functions of money, right? We don't understand, you know, tax returns, but we understand that we exchange money for value, right? Buddy who's been in the store with a toddler who's asked them for a dollar to buy a gumball, they understand how money works, right? But by seven, 
we've likely had some kind of experience in our lives, whether it's watching our parents have a money argument, whether it's, you know, a real scarcity issue or poverty issue, or even just a passing comment, watching your parents pay the bills at the dining room table, that we needed to figure out what the broader meaning was, right? So neurologically to stay safe, we need to have these big assumptions about the world. So there are rules. If there's a lot of uncertainty, there's too much decision-making that has to happen. And so we see this issue way back when we're kids, six or seven years old with very limited perspective and understanding. And we make this huge decision about money, whatever it is, right? It's seeing dad sit at the table and pay the bills that men are in charge of money, right? It's that first time that you got $5 to go to the fair and you lost it. And a parent just in a moment of stress tells you you're irresponsible with money, right? (laughs) It becomes, and it becomes this story that you then look for proof of for decades until you spend some time thinking about your mindset. And so when we dive into that, when we are new entrepreneurs, a lot of us are like, oh, I want to start a business. I'm really good at doing X, Y, Z. I want to do digital marketing. I want to start a blog, but I don't want to deal with the money. You can't run a business and not deal with the money. <laughs> it doesn't work. That's a hobby. And you're not going to be profitable, right? And you're not going to be able to scale unless you're confident in your value, in the work that you do and its value. If you're not confident in your ability to manage money, right? We see all the time women step away from pitching big contracts or going after things because there's this underlying fear that even if they got that money, they'd waste it right? Or they'd mismanage it. And so why even bother? We get this kind of like, why even bother? And so the first thing I think about with entrepreneurs all the time is spending some time going back and thinking about what are my money beliefs? What emotions come up to me when somebody tells me that I have to think about money? Do you have a little bit of anxiety, right? Just even trying to process this, figure out what that is. And then step away from it for a second. I think that like this is a place to go for a walk, to go for a drive and just see, do you agree with that? Like when you have a little bit of space from it, these decisions that you've made, these things that run in your head, are they right? Is it something you would put on your friend? Is it something you would want to put on your kid? And if it's not, then we can start to build habits and build mantras that move you away from that. What happens sometimes is that we hear about money mindset. And so we go on Instagram and we search this hashtag and we find a mantra and we're like, I'm just going to say this mantra. That mantra might not have anything to do with what your money hangups are. You might not believe it. You might not be doing the activities day to day to make it a real thing. And so that mantra is a waste of your time. And so you have to start first with what is my money story? What are my hangups? And how do I create the mantras and the behaviors to change that going forward? Mantras are great, but mantras without giving our brain proof that that mantra is real, don't get us anywhere. And so it's about taking those teeny tiny steps every day to give your brain more and more proof that you are good with money, that you're worthy of getting paid for your skills and all of those things. Okay. First of all, just second guess all of my parenting right there. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I'm trying, I'm doing my best, but I, I don't want to talk about that, but can you give me an example of like a mantra and just like what you just said right there of like what the habit related to the mantra, like just some real world examples of like what people are going through. Sure. So one of the big ones is I am bad with money, right? So we can start there. Let's let's just pick one of the most common ones. I am bad with money. The first thing you can do is we can create, what we do in the Motivated Mama Society is we create what's called a money smile file. And I want you to make a list of all the good things you have ever done with money. And I mean, from as small as I transferred $5 into savings to paying off a credit card to paying off your student loans to whatever it is, right? I want you to write down all those smiles because 
once again, we'll go back to the neuro research, right? It takes nine positive experiences to offset one negative experience. So you've been saying this, I'm bad with money thing, and there is proof of it. We've all made mistakes with money, but we put so much emphasis on those things. And so the first part about, you know, you're not bad with money is to figure out, give yourself some proof that you're not right. Like I stick to a meal plan most weeks. I, you know, what are the things that you do to be good with money? And then the second stage of that is to continue to add new things that you're doing, right? So think about what are some things you could do to learn to be better with money? Okay. I could listen to money podcasts. I could join a money community where I'm doing tasks to build wealth. I could research what it means to invest, right? I can take some of those words that have made me feel really afraid and I could just dump them into Google and find the definition. Really tiny kind of steps to continue to build that proof. And every time you do one of those things, add it to that smile file so that when your negative mindset, negative story starts to come back up, you have a place to go to, even if it's just a notes app in your phone to scroll through and be like, wait, 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 this is a momentary thing. I actually am very good with money. And then the mantra that goes with that, a lot of people want to go from I'm bad with money to I'm a badass with money. And I love that mantra, right? I'm a badass with money. (laughs) But sometimes we're not ready to go that far, right? We have struggled. We haven't been involved. And so we say that and we don't believe it. And so you can add words. So it's, I'm not a badass with money yet, or I'm learning to be a badass with money, or I make good financial decisions for my family. You can kind of create that bridge until you're ready for the, I'm a freaking rock star with my money. And so that's one example of how you think through these things. I love that so much. And it's so fascinating to me that you said it took nine positive thoughts to outweigh a negative one. And I want everyone to hear this here who's listening because we do this in all different aspects of our life. And it takes that like moment of like catching yourself, creating that awareness and then making the effort to change. And what you said is gold, having that like not yet bridge, like I'm getting there, like, cause that's still positive, like making those changes for action and changes for good transformation. That's what I'm trying to say. Like that is positive. Like that is big because you are choosing not to stay stuck. So you can still reward yourself for that. But that is really good. And I think that helped like paint a picture of like what we were talking about. Like, I love the specificity of that one. And it's, it's a common one, unfortunately. And I think that when we talk about money as women, there's a lot of societal impact that goes into our own learning about money, right? We are taught, you know, women in general are told that the things that we enjoy on average clearly in me and my hoodie, I'm not one of the fit in this, but like makeup, clothing Mm -hmm. are all taught to us to that we're frivolous. So from our earliest ages, princesses, whatever, from our earliest ages, when we get some control of money and we buy things, we're being told that those things are a waste of money, that they're frivolous. And so we lose trust in our ability to make good decisions with money at a really young age. And then even today, you look at 2022, there is still a gender gap in what parents give their kids in allowance so that girls on average, even in the same household, get less in allowance than boys. They're encouraged to get their first job later than boys. And it's all these things that we build up to when we become adults. A lot of us are like, okay, now it's time to learn about money. But we actually have this whole foundation in history that's already there from when we were kids that we can't, we're not starting with a fresh slate when we graduate college and get our first job. We're starting with some history that we still have to dig through. We also have this huge generational burden that we're bringing to the table. And I mean, I'm a Gen Xer, cusp millennial -er, but you know, you look back at the history of women. I mean, so much has changed in even the last 50 years. And like, think about like our longstanding history with like owning property, 
right? Mm. And we were a piece of property for a while. So there's a lot we're still overcoming, but it's a new day and age where we know better. We know. Well, and there's the intersectionality of that too, right? Like we're both white women, but there's wealth gaps in gender, but you add on a layer of if you're a woman of color, if you are LGBTQ, if you are disabled, that that's even greater. Right. And, you know, we talk about disability in particular, our tendency to infantilize people with disabilities removes their ability to learn about money, too. And so if you're a disabled woman, this is even harder to overcome. And it's not that you can't. It's that you have to pay attention to what are the stories you've been told and which ones are you willing to accept into your life? But we have to identify what are those stories we've been told before we can figure out how to rewrite what we really want. Oh my gosh, this is so good. So how do we take this into the entrepreneurial space where we aren't afraid to like go for the big client work and get that big contract and really like bid rates that communicate our wealth and like our value that we bring to the table? Mm, So they're very, very closely interconnected. And also, so it's, we're talking about money mindset in our personal life is very similar to our business life, but then we have to tie in worthiness and our self-worth too, right? And that's another whole mindset game, but we have to have worthiness. And to close those gaps, I think there's a few things you can do. One, you can create a smile file for your work as well. What are the things you've brought your clients? What are the amazing campaigns that you've run in the past, the dollars you brought in, even the trainings that you've done, right? The expensive trainings that you've done or or inexpensive trainings that you've done, the research you've done. Have a place to, before you pitch a client, read through that every single time right? I want you to read through it before you get on a sales call, because you need to remind yourself that you're not a newbie at this, that you have a ton of knowledge to bring the table, a ton of skills to bring to the table. And that needs to come into your pitching. The second level is you got to find your people and your community because we need to talk about what we're getting paid. Just whether or not you're an entrepreneur, we need to talk about this and have clarity on it. We uh, actually just had someone in our community who is a community manager for us for a little while. We were running these big events once a year. We now run many events twice a year, but she was our community manager through those events. And she came to me, I heard amazing things. I knew her personally. And I was like, I know you're doing community management somewhere else. Would you like to come do this for this event? And she was like, yeah, no, that'd be amazing. And I said, okay, what are your rates? And she quoted me a rate that we don't pay our lowest level entry level person, right? It was below that. And I came back to her and I was like, I can't in good conscience pay you that. Like we have to pay you at least double that. And like, really, you need to be asking for this much. And she was flabbergasted. And so she got her first client. She was afraid to charge too much. So she charged the bare minimum. And then each new client, she increased it a little bit, like 50 cents or a dollar an hour, but nowhere near. She didn't know. She was a community manager. She didn't know community managers and social media managers made 35 to 40 bucks an hour. She was asking for, I think she asked for 16 only because she never asked. Right. And I think the other side of this that is a little bit less related to mindset, but it's more about the communities that we're creating and the world we're raising our girls into. If you are an entrepreneur and you are hiring somebody that is charging the wrong rate for the work that they're doing, you need to call that out. You can't just sit there and be like, oh, awesome. I'm getting this work for half pay. That is not creating the culture that you want as a company or that you want for women in general, right? And so it's okay to come back to somebody and be like, this sounds great, but based on what you've told me about your background, like I need to pay you a little bit more. First, it builds a ton of loyalty and trust, but also it's going to put the energy out into the world that there's that abundance mindset, right? That money yes. will come back to you. People will be willing to pay you because you pay people what they're worth and so on and so forth. 
Oh my God. I am so glad you touched on all of that because A, it feeds into my business model well, which is what we do, especially over in my membership. And we share this because this is Mm -hmm. the hardest thing. And you don't know when you're starting out unless you're talking to people. And some people be very closed about that. And in general, entrepreneurs don't always share their rates online. Like you have to book a call or, you know, talk to them. So I'm not surprised. And this is why, like, I tell all my people when they're starting out of my course and like 25, at least, at least like maybe your first client and then mm-hmm. not 50 cent increments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but very quickly. Yes. You get up to that 30, you know, $50 price range, depending on what you're doing. So thank you for mm-hmm. sharing that little tidbit. Cause I know my people struggle with that. I mean, we were just talking about this last week over in the work group and what do you say while I have you here, pick your brain. So I've had a lot of clients who saw my value, like never questioned when I uh, increased my prices, wanted to keep me. But what do you say to that client who like wants to keep you stuck in that lower price range? I mean, you tell them that you can't accept that rate right now. You're ready to move on. And I think that that's a really scary place to be when you're any kind of service-based business, right? Of You've got to let clients go if you want to find the clients that are going to pay you. And so in the short term, yeah, maybe your income is going to go down a little bit. And that's why we build emergency funds and security. And I know you and I want to talk about security. We'll move into that in a second, but you have to let those clients go and say like, Hey, it seems like there's somebody that's going to be a better fit for you right now. I've loved working with you. Thank you for the experience. I need to maintain these rates. Some people are going to be willing to pay it when they realize you're going to leave and some aren't. And it's okay to say goodbye to those people. We have to recognize that there are going to be people out there that are willing to pay what we ask for. And remember that there are also people coming up behind you that don't have the experience that you were used to be charging $25 an hour. You're not anymore. That person can hire somebody who's paying $25 an hour. It's just not you anymore. And that's okay. So that's where I'd start. The security is the second part. And so we we have to touch on this because it's really, really important. When we look at entrepreneurs in general, but especially female entrepreneurs, we are behind the eight ball in retirement savings, in emergency savings, in really even understanding the finances of our business and the emergency fund for our business, not our personal life, but having a couple of months of your business expenses in hand. And you want to have that and you want to start to build it up really as quickly as you can. And so those are going to be your core goals at first is to build those emergency funds. And the reason is when you have a client who doesn't want to pay you what you're worth. When you have a vampire client that is sucking all of your energy and scope creep and you're <laughs> dreading going to open your laptop because you have to deal with this person, that you have the ability, the safety net to say no to that person, to honor your skills and your value and walk away from things that do not serve you. That is incredibly hard when you're living hand to mouth. And so where we see this happen a lot is you have women who haven't run a business before at the beginning, everybody's kind of tight and that's fine. We're all tight. And then something blows up, right? They do a great launch. They get a new high dollar client or a contract and money comes in and they celebrate, right? They spend that money. They pay down this credit card. They go on vacation. They do whatever, buy a new laptop, whatever it is. And then they're stuck again, right? Because they haven't taken that moment to say, how do we build a secure platform so that from now on I can do more of this amazing work and less of the stuff that kept me hand to mouth. And so this is something to go into any launch, any new client pitch of like, okay, this percentage of my money is to pay myself. This percentage of my money is to pay the cost for me to do this contract. And this percentage is to set aside for the future, right? And obviously taxes are in there. Don't forget to pay your taxes. (laughs) (laughs) But we want to start to think about, you know, what is that sense of security and safety? And for every person, there's a lot of different explanations of this. On the personal side, you hear people say you should have three to six months of expenses in an emergency fund. 
But for every individual, this is going to be a different level to make you feel secure, right? Some entrepreneurs want 12 months because we don't know what's going to happen. And you could have a whole dry spell or you could get sick because we, you know, we don't have disability insurance most of the time. Some people want a year. Some people have very, very stable jobs, not entrepreneurs, no entrepreneurs (laughs) really in this way, but some people have very, very stable jobs like nursing or whatever. They might be okay with only a couple months of emergency fund because, you know, they're secure. Their job is secure. Um, And they might have the right insurance to, even if they can't work, they've got money coming in, but you have to figure out and ask yourself, and this comes back to mindset too, what makes me feel safe and how can I get those things in place? And yes, the big emergency fund several months is in there, but it's also things like if you had food scarcity growing up, this could be that you have a pantry system, a freezer system that you have a couple weeks of meals, no matter what happens. And maybe you're far beyond that level, right? Like you know that you now make six figures and you don't actually have to worry about food, but there's some part of your child brain that still has that fear. And so that client that fires you, that client that you want to let go, you're getting really nervous about it. You go and open the fridge and it's kind of empty and it puts you into total fight or flight mode. You need to know that about yourself, right? So Mm -hmm. maybe you do budget a little bit more for groceries because you need to know the food is there and you can work on that over time. But for right now, What is your sense of safety and how do we build it so that you can focus in on the best parts of your business and going after the best clients for yourself? So good. And I feel that with the client work, like, you know, I I have to fight that whole scarcity mindset all the time when somebody is like not working out, but like the bottom line, and I have to tell myself this, I know all of you need to hear this. There are so many clients to replace. And like, I've paused on some of the client work to do some of this course stuff and membership stuff. That's not easy. That has high overhead and whatnot. But I know any second, like I could go in there and scoop up the work. And like, that is something I am always trying to embrace and remind myself, like, it's going to be okay. Because I have a skill set that's in demand that is not $14 an hour work. And I can jump in there at any point when I need, when I'm going hungry, (laughs) like I'm going to be okay. Okay, let's just take a moment here. It's impossible to get referrals without putting yourself out there all the time. It's really difficult to have a community when you're doing the work by yourself. It's also hard to stay up to date when you're just one person and digital marketing trends, platforms, technology, and strategies change all of the time. And it's no fun having to do lead generation for your business when you'd rather be doing billable hours. So I have a solution for you. Come join my digital marketing work group. It's a tight community of freelancers, virtual assistants, digital marketing specialists who are all up-leveling in their skills, getting advanced trainings, applying for my job ops, and becoming digital marketing specialists and managers and strategists. This is an online referral community for both skilled and -and up-and-coming digital marketing service pros and virtual assistants. We've shared over 800 jobs with our community. We'd love to have you too. If you need client work, if you need a squad behind you, if you need help raising your prices, promoting yourself to the next level, this is the place to be. You can apply for the work group with the link in the show notes. We'd love to have you. Back to the show. And this is part of your security platform as an entrepreneur too, is that even when you have a full deck of clients or you know what you're working on, you have to continue to network with other people in your space. You have to continue to at least build a potential list of clients so that when that fluctuates, because it will, somebody will be ready to do something else or you'll be ready to not work with them anymore. You have somewhere to go to. And especially early on, going back to having that community, like you're talking about in your, your group and your membership, knowing that, hey, I can ask somebody who's a little farther along than me 
is there anybody you know that's looking for work? Because if they have a full deck, people are still pitching them for work, right? And so when I first left my job in finance, I did some freelance writing work at the beginning while we built the blog up. And that was how I got my first few freelance clients, right? Is I reached out to some friends that I'd met in the community that were freelance writers that I knew were full and was like, hey, do you have any clients that have reached out to you recently? And they sent me like 10 like the group of people. And I had clients in the first week that I launched. Right. And so it's having those relationships, building those relationships so that you can get rolling when you need to. I'm so glad you said that because that is the basis of my networking group because all of us start booking out and passing along work and referring each other. And we really do embrace that abundance mindset. Like there is more than enough to go around and I can pick and choose what I do because someone else can pick that up. So thank you. Thank you for that segue. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about the big thing for some of us who we've gotten our clients, like we're making consistent income and we want even more security and wealth. Like what are these next steps? Absolutely. So eventually business is successful. Money's coming in. Now we got to decide what to do with that money, right? And investing is the first place. So if you're an entrepreneur, making sure at the very beginning, you have an IRA that you are trying to max out every year. So an IRA is an individual retirement account. As long as you have earned income, we're all eligible. If you make over a certain amount of money, you don't get the tax benefits anymore. But when we're all early on in our business, we're eligible for either a traditional or Roth IRA. You can put in $6,000 a year. Let's start there. Over time, as your business grows, opening something that's called a SEP IRA or a solo 401k is going to be a much better option because you can put more money in there, which A, manages your tax burden in the years that you're earning that money and gets you more tax benefits to save for retirement. And so those are some basic retirement structures. We can link you guys to some resources on getting started with investing. We have full investing courses in our Motivated Mama Society, but we also have a free Money Mama's Guide to Investing that I can give you the link for. But we want to start investing. And then we want to start to really figure out what our money values are and what impact do we want our money to have in the world and what kind of legacy do we want to have? And so when we think about wealth building, we have to figure out what are we trying to accomplish, right? Where do we want to be in 10 years? Where do we want to be in retirement? Because for some people, you have very modest goals, right? And so not in a bad way, but just like if your goal is to live down the street from your kid when you grow up and be the grandmother that cares for the grandkids, like if that is your goal, you're going to need a heck of a lot less money than someone whose goal is to like travel the world for 20 years when they retire, right? (laughs) It's just different. Or if your goals are that you want to be very charitable and you have causes that are really important to you and you want to be able to donate X number of dollars over your lifetime to these causes, that's when we start to think about, okay, what are the ways that we do that? Is real estate a good fit for you? Is a donor advised fund a good fit for you? Is passive income and other sources a good fit for you? And so everybody's path to wealth building is going to look a little bit different based on your goals. And so we joke all the time that it depends is like my favorite answer to money because we call it personal finance because it's personal. But the starting is really getting that retirement base going and then looking at what our goals are. And so we also talk about setting up what your family money values are. And that is, what is the impact we want to have in the world? What are our family money mantras? What are the words we use with money and don't use with money? So one of the big examples is if you have kids, not using, we can't afford that as a phrase, right? That shuts down. First of all, it builds a major scarcity mindset and fear in kids because they don't know why we can't afford it, right? That gets a lot of money fears built in there. Um, But also it shuts down our problem solving side when we think about money. And so when we present our kids when they want something, and maybe it's not prioritized in our budget, something we'll say to our kids all the time is like, that's not a priority in mommy and daddy's budget right now, but what could you do 
to get that toy. And then it puts them into, okay, could I do extra chores? Could I sell lemonade? Could I, you know, we used to have chickens and my oldest had an egg stand. And so could he sell eggs at the end of the street, right? What are the things that he could do to get that money? And what that creates is that when they are older and they run up against a money issue, they get hit with student loans or something goes wrong. Instead of going into fight or flight panic mode, they go into problem solving mode. They go into, okay, what can I do to get out of this problem? And yes. so it's figuring out what are the languages that we use as a family, right? And then what are our, our long-term goals? And so then every decision from wealth building to whether or not you're going to go walk into Target and that whole mess that often walking into Target creates, <laughs> is that aligned with the family values that you've set? Is where it starts. I saw your reel about Target and buying the toy. And I'm like, I need this so bad because my daughter, we went to like a consignment store to find her a new coat. And she saw all these like, you know, fluffy stuffed animals toys. And she's insistent that she get one and her birthday's coming up. So she'll get one next month. But yeah. it's just so funny. So I'm like, hi, I need to like restructure that because they just, they can't help it. They want the toy every time. And it's happened in the past. That's why they like keep doing it. But I definitely love that problem solving skill that you're developing. And I have to tell you, I bought that book. Someone mentioned it. It was like how to make a million dollars. It's like a kid book. And oh, I, it's gave, great. I gave it to my oldest first. Right. And he's 12 yeah. and he's like, Meh, whatever. And then I gave it to my eight-year-old and she immediately got to the part where it asked, it's like, ask your parents for more allowance. And she did. <laughs> and I was like, you go girl. And so I was like, yeah, you just make sure you do your chore and I'll like, I'll up it. And I did. And she's like coming home every day and she's like motivated. And she also has a hamster she needs to take care of. So she's got to pay for the food. And I, yeah. just, I just was kind of funny. Like I was thinking about all of that. I was like flashing through my head when I saw your target reel, but I love this advice because it carries over to a real life. So thank you for sharing that. Well, and I think that that's something that can, a lot of moms specifically, and, and obviously our audience at Smart Money Mamas is moms, but when we think about money generationally, and so when you look at research about what men's main priority is when they earn more money, it's things for themselves on a broad basis. And no surprise. <laughs> main priority is the impact it will have on their kids and their grandkids, right? Their family legacy. Yeah. And so when you're someone who's trying to build up your confidence with money, your thoughts about money, even with pitching, right? Uh, one of my favorite mantras, and once again, these are not the same for everybody. One of my favorite mantras is the choices I'm making with money today will last for generations. It's one of my favorite mantras. And oh. because I get to sit there and say, okay, what happens to my family if I undersell myself on this pitch, right? If I go in and ask for half, whatever, what is the lasting impact? Because the reality is it's less money that can get invested, which means less money for retirement, less money to help my kids for college, less ability to help my grandkids with college, all these little things, right? That are big things, but like we separate them from the daily decisions we make yeah. when in reality, they all add up, right? It's the snowball of what is the impact your money's going to have? What am I showing my daughter, my son by underselling myself? What am I showing them by sticking with a client that berates me on a regular basis, right? Would I want this for my kids? Would I want this for my best friend? And if the answer is no, that client has to go. Like, it's just like yeah. hard pass. And so those are the type of things that we really want to pay attention to in wealth building because we want to make sure we are setting a good example. We're creating the communities we want to live in and we're leaving that legacy for our kids, whatever that is. And for some people, we're not in a place to leave our kids money, right? Wherever we're starting in life, whatever our priorities are, maybe we have a partner or a child with special needs that building wealth is just a very difficult thing to do. 
your legacy can be a positive money mindset in that problem solving skill. You don't have to leave them dollars. You don't have to pay for college, but if you can teach them to be problem solvers, to be confident with money, to demand what they're worth, they can become adults who go do that for themselves, right? This is the best (laughs) advice ever. I love that. So many people in this group are here and they're doing this work, not because they are motivated by money, but they have a lifestyle and they are trying to find that balance and have that peace and be present with their kid. And so when you say stuff like that, like, I know that's going to hit home with everybody because they're looking for something more meaningful than that. So the fact that you could do that as a parent with like no dollars involved, like teaching them that is just beautiful. Well, and I want to touch on that too. I think that we've, we're taught very much in our society, right? That if you're going to do good work that benefits the world, if you're going to be an artist or creator, do something beautiful, you have to be starving to do that work, right? You do not deserve money and to do that work. And so it's that whole vilification of wealth. The reality is like, if you can serve and fill your family, if you can give yourself, fill your own cup, you have far more bandwidth for far more time to do the work that you want to do, right? And to have the skills that you want to do. I see a lot of people in my own community, they're struggling with that money guilt and charging because they love what they do and they're so good at it. So that like opens up a whole can of worms, right? Oh my gosh. The concept of hard work. Like, can we just for a second, like we have this puritanical idea that like hard work is the only way to success. And so we actually did an Instagram reel the other day about somebody tweeted, like, remember all millionaires worked harder than you or something like that. And it's like, Bull crap, like bull, right? Like ridiculous comment is that like, okay, the single parent working two jobs, the laborer, the janitor that works overnight shifts, like you're working harder than them. Like I was a hedge fund manager. Okay. I made mid six figures at 24. I was not working harder than like the vast majority of people (laughs) on the planet. And so there's privilege involved there. And I think that we've Mm -hmm. created this thing that because we equate hard work with success, when we enjoy our work, we diminish it. Yeah. And it's not important. It's not hard work. So it's not successful. Right. Right. And it's the same. We hear it when women talk about their businesses, they have this thing that they love and they're great at. And someone asks them about it. I was like, Oh, I just run this little thing. I just do this, this little thing. The number of times I've heard this little thing, we diminish it. And that's not how it works. Even if you go back to exactly what I was saying about the CEO, the CEO does not work harder than his lowest paid employee. It's just not how it works. And so when you see that comparison, it's easier to say, wait, like maybe this whole idea of hard work equaling success is just a little bit crazy. There's a book that I'd recommend also called Laziness is a Lie, which talks a little bit about this, about the fact that like hard work is not the end goal. We want to do work that fulfills us, Mm -hmm. that allows us the energy and time and space to do the other things that are important to us and that you get to love your work. That's okay. And you get to take rest too. It's so nice when you can find that like passion and get paid for it. And I know that's rare. I mean, some people don't, I mean, I come from a place of privilege, like being married to an officer husband where like, I don't have to work. And so I can kind of take the time and energy to explore both of those. But I have to ask you about that reel because I listened to the audio and I'm like, I can't, I have like the worst hearing. What are they saying? And that one where you're holding it up in the like electronic voice. Citation needed. Oh, (laughs) I was like, oh my God, citation needed. <laughs> I was like, 
asking my husband because we were in the car and we were actually going to the bank today, which is really funny to like <laughs> move some investments over because he's about to not get paid. That's like a whole nother story. But uh, I was like, what is this audio? And I like kept listening to that <laughs> over and over. And he's like, I can't tell. But it was hilarious. I'll just be like linking to all of your reels in the show notes right here because they're funny and they're so like spot on like that whole hustle thing. And it's so not true. I mean, that's why Rachel Hollis got in trouble, right? Saying that she worked harder than her housekeeper. I mean, that was like a whole debacle online, but no, it's not true. You don't have to believe that and buy into that and, you know, slave away to be at that point. And it's really hard for us to do things that drive better community outcomes, better equality when we are equating our own hard work to making us better than somebody else, right? We have to kind of let that go. And we have to think too, if we're going to be in a role where you're hiring people, whether it's subcontractors or employees, you have to really examine that thought process because are you going to be somebody who sits and thinks that you work harder than the people who work with you? Because what is that relationship you're going to build with them? What is that value you're going to place on them if that's something that you think, right? Just because you own the company, you are somehow better than the people who work for you. That's yeah. just ridiculous. Oh my God. You're going to open up so many thoughts with me on that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a pass, but yeah, I worked with over 90 different clients. So like I've seen a thing or two and mm, I definitely sure. have taken too long to walk away from the wrong people. But when you know, you have the right one, you know, and can we just touch on that for a second too? We've talked sure. a lot about letting go of these clients and walking away. This is all much easier when you have that sense of security. And we talked about that a little bit, but I want to make sure that we're mentioning the fact that we're not all in that place. And so sometimes when we hear the advice of walk away from clients that don't serve you, leave jobs where you don't have good bosses, things like that, that's not everybody's option, right? If you're worried about how you're going to pay the bills, how you're going to do the next thing, we talk about the money hierarchy of needs, which ties each level of Maslow's. We've rejiggered it to tie each level of Maslow's hierarchy to a, a level of financial achievement. If you're in the bottom two parts of that, which is physiological needs, feeding yourself, keeping yourself safe and safety, it's okay to do what you have to do to keep yourself safe, regardless of what that is. The goal is to build yourself a platform, build yourself a base that you are out of there and can move on to outlining. But when you're in that place, there is no shame, no guilt in just doing the work that you have to do to protect yourself and your family. Like, no, have that awareness. Like I am in and out. I am not like loyal to the death of this client. Like get what you need. Look out for yourself. And it's okay to move on when you're ready or like be lining up other people. And it's okay to tell yourself like a year from now, I will not work with clients like this, even if you have to push the bar, but just, it gives yourself a little bit of ease to get through those difficult clients. If you feel like you don't have to do this work forever and know what your goal is like, Hey, my goal is to build this emergency fund. And so I'm going to take these clients for a little while. And then when I hit my emergency fund, here's the change that I'm going to make, have a plan, but it's okay sometimes to just be it's okay all the time to just be where you are and make sure you're just taking care of yourself in whatever way you need to. Okay. I'm going to like change paths just a little bit. We kind of skipped over this at the beginning, but what is your story from going to an online business owner? Like what was your degree? Because that always fascinates me. And I think it inspires other women who are highly educated coming from the corporate world, seeing other women like you, like kicking ass online. So I was a very motivated, very strange child. So I loved (laughs) economics and finance from a really young age. I read my first economics book at 12. I started reading about investing at 13. I really was fascinated by the way money works in the world. And so I went through high school. I went to college. I graduated in three years with a dual degree in economics and mathematics. 
and I went to Wall Street. And so in college, I had this whole debate of whether I wanted to teach. I love teaching. I love working with both kids and adults teaching, or I wanted to go to Wall Street, right? And so I had both of these sides. Do I want to go teach math or economics, or do I want to go to Wall Street? And my thought process at the time was, I'm going to go make really good money, and then I can do whatever I want later. So this was never going to be a lifelong career for me, but I thought I'd be there till I was like 45. That's not what happened. We'll get there in a second. (laughs) I go to New York. I worked at Goldman Sachs in New York for several years. I met my husband. We got married. Right after we got married, I got a job to work at a hedge fund in Boston, which I accepted. We moved to Boston. We had our first kid. And right after we had our first kid, I just got hit. Well, first of all, I had very bad postpartum depression that didn't hit until six months. So heads up. Side note, you can get postpartum depression anytime in the first 12 months after your kid is born. feel like I was able to be given need to know information. Yes. So I was in a tough place right after I came back from maternity leave. But also I was just saw this huge disconnect between my own values and the work that I was doing. I was incredibly lucky to do the work that I did. I got paid very well for it. It was intellectually stimulating. I got to have some really cool experiences. But at the end of the day, when you're a hedge fund manager, your job is to make rich people richer. That is your whole job, right? Yes. And so- Having that broader impact was missing for me. Yeah. And so I started to explore all different kinds of things that I could do. I always wanted to have an entrepreneurial part of my life. I didn't know when it would be. And I actually got all the way down the road to, I was going to go be the CFO for a medical startup that my friend was was running. And at the last minute I'd backed out and I needed something. Like I was, had been so excited to leave my job and I was like, I have to do something else, like whatever. And so I'd been in this mom's group since I was pregnant with my first really early on in pregnancy of 250 women who were having their first babies in the same month I was having my first baby. We've all ah, got in those delivery groups. I think I was in one of those groups. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Ours was super, super tight knit and still is. We, a lot of us are still in the group and our kids are all turning six. I'd become the go-to person for money questions. Oh, and so what I did, we had a snow day. So I was home from my hedge fund job with my little guy and it was the week before his first birthday. And I just posted in the group. It's like, Hey guys, I'm thinking about starting a blog. What questions would you want me to answer about money? And that day I set up a WordPress blog. It was super basic. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know if you could make money at this. I had no idea, but I set up the blog. And for the first 30 days, I posted at least once a day answering somebody's question, right? Cause we ended up with like 60 plus questions in the first 24 hours. And so I answered questions and it just grew from there. I loved seeing the confidence and the change in families by just understanding a little bit more about their money, about being able to address it in a way that wasn't shame-based. I mean, a lot of our existing money education that's been around for the past 30 years is completely, completely shame-based. You're bad with money. You're dumb. How can you get in this situation? And that doesn't help anybody. Nobody wants to like work in that place or tells you that you got to go completely ultra, super duper frugal. I know. I was just thinking like that whole thing where I can't have a coffee. It's like guilt, 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 and shame. And I'm like, well, I'm running errands. Like, this is my little highlight of my day today. I might get coffee. It might cost $3. Which is fine. (laughs) Like, completely fine. And like, the biggest thing is to be intentional with your money. Like, if you love that coffee, get the coffee. Build it into your budget. It doesn't matter. But don't (laughs) spend money on all the things that you're, quote unquote, supposed to spend money on. And one of those things that we're coming up, we're seeing with millennials and Gen Z is maybe I don't want to buy a house. Maybe I want to rent for a little bit longer because we do live in a world where we move a lot and we change jobs a lot. And so buying a house at 25, we can get into the whole whether that's financially feasible for for many people (laughs) the way housing is gone. But buying a house at 25 
could be the complete wrong decision for you. So despite the fact that your parents and your grandparents are like, you're losing all this money on renting. Statistically, let me just tell you that's not actually aligned, but end up in about the same place. So maybe do something completely different. It's about understanding what your lifestyle is, what your priorities and values are and building your budget around that. Love the things that you love and let go of the things that you're supposed to do that you don't enjoy. Like that's fine. Oh my gosh. So many people need to hear that. We just had an episode about goal setting and I just love the fact that like you can make it personalized and work for you and put your blinders up and you don't have to copy others. Back Mm. to your story really quick. Like your blog just took off and now tell me about like your programs that you have and like what's going on. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, yeah, so I left my job 10 months after I started the blog, right before my second child was born. Wow. Um, Legally with the work that I used to do, you could not have outside work in any form. So I, my blog was completely unmonetized, but we had been building for financial independence, which is the concept of having enough money that you don't need to work. Work becomes optional. You can live off your investments for a number of years. And so we weren't there yet, but we had cushion. So I knew that my husband and I looked at our finances. We had about two years of runway. He's a stay-at-home dad. So we looked at this together. We had about two years of runway to get the blog to a profitable place. And so we left three weeks before George was born which was very scary, by the way, very scary, but it was great. It turned out great. So now we run the Motivated Mama Society. That's our main program. And so in that place is where you're going to go for continued learning and money support to build wealth in a way that aligns with your values. So we have our in-depth foundation course, which is a series of five courses that brings you through money mindset and knowing where you stand to building a money plan that works for your personality and how you build wealth. We do monthly masterclasses. We are doing a financial reset challenge right now with prizes and all kinds of things. And so that's our main program. And then twice a year, we do online conferences. And so our first is in April. We're doing one about generational wealth and money value in April. And we're doing one in October about heart-centered entrepreneurship. And so we do those, we bring in amazing speakers, we do live workshops. So you actually get to network with other people in the community. And so we love doing those events and that's the main, main stuff that we do, but you can always find us on TikTok and on YouTube. We're all over the place. Oh my gosh. That's so cool to hear your story from like blog to membership, especially because a lot of the ladies here listening are doing this work for business owners like you. And we love to support business owners like you who have that passion and have that impact, but from like the safe behind the scenes entrepreneur position. So my, my team is invaluable (laughs) to to this operation. You know, Lauren, who's my, my COO, my integrator. She's incredible. She's been with me since the beginning. She's incredible. Okay. But the reason we went membership, and I just want to touch on this really quickly. We talked about doing like a signature course, which is where a lot of people go. Memberships have become more, more popular. But the thing with money is that we get people who come to us and they're like, just give me the answer. So I never have to think about this again, but it's very similar to dieting. We're like, just like you can't avoid food. You can't avoid money, right? We're never done with money. And we're always uncovering new mindset things. We're always encountering new things with our kids as they get older and they have more questions and more demands. And so a membership where we could really go through the whole journey with people was a much better fit. I love getting to know everybody in that society, getting to know their unique family structure because it just helps me help them in a a more in-depth way. Yeah. And I love that. Like I told you earlier, it brought up so many questions to my mothering, like in those moments, mm. am I saying the right thing? Which is just a sign. I'm a great mom, right? Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. About that. But you know, like nobody taught me to do that. And I can see like the flaws from my childhood, like as we're talking and, you know, I want to do better. So I mm-hmm. like, I love that aspect alone, you know? So yeah. tell everyone about your meaningful money guy that you have. That's free. 
Absolutely. So you can download that for free. We'll have the link in the show descriptions. And basically this is going to walk you through kind of clearing the slate of once again, all the things you're supposed to do with money and what you really want your life to look like. And how do we build the set of dominoes that get you there? So I always think about, you've got this big domino at the end that you want to knock over and you've got to start by moving that first one and just getting the ball rolling. And so we talk about creating your short-term goals that will feed into your medium-term goals that will get you to where you want to go. And so we, we walk you through really breaking that down and figuring out what you want your money to do for you in your life in that guide. Got it. And I love this. It pairs so nicely with what the women are doing in my group and going out there and like setting their business goals, pricing their packages and getting those clients. So like it all just like drives the next thing and the next thing. So Mm -hmm. this has been such a pleasure having you. Is there, you have any parting words or like anything else you want to share? Uh, The only thing I want to share is that no matter where you're starting with money management, whether you're involved, whether you're not, we can all be rock stars with money. There's no, you don't have to be good at math. You don't have to have some certain career to be good with money, some certain degree. We all have the ability to make our money work for us in the way we need to. And so just take the next right step. Even it's that starting that money smile file and you'll get there. Okay. I love it. Thank you so much, Chelsea. You are amazing. I love your brain. I love your story and I love what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Emily. This was fantastic. Oh, wasn't she amazing? She is so smart and articulate. I just love her to death. I love her mission too, helping moms connect with all aspects of their money. And one of these aspects can be making money. You don't necessarily need to come from the angle of always trying to save money, coupon clip, save a buck. Think about how you can create wealth for yourself. That's what I'm doing in this space. And that's why Chelsea and I work so well together because I help women get back out there create their own businesses where they are still free and they can be a mom first and make decent money doing digital marketing because digital marketing is value-based, it's in demand, and it is creative, it's fun, but you can get paid well for it. So there's no point in going back to retail call centers. You guys know. That's why you're listening to this podcast. I encourage you to download her free Meaningful Money Guide in the show notes. It's all about positive money relationships. Guys, I do love money. Money changes things. And the more women who have wealth, the better this world will be. Women can change the world. Unfortunately, most of the money is in the patriarch, right? So I want to see you go out there. I want you to start creating wealth for yourself. And I want you to have this positive money energy. Thanks for joining me today. If you found this helpful, please tag me in an Instagram story or send me a DM. Next week, we have a really good podcast Switching back over to more marketing, we're going to be learning about nurture marketing and how you can help your clients. I'll see you then. If you want to start earning income as a digital marketing service provider or digital marketing assistant, you only need your laptop. You can tap into what online business owners really need help with by downloading my top 10 most requested tasks. These are the services I did for years for my clients behind the scenes. You can take this download and apply it to your own business and start by offering these very same services. If you want to niche down in digital marketing, this is your guide. Just use the link in the show notes or go to emilyreaganpr.com slash services. Just, I just, I just.
I'm probably going to do an awkward sneeze here in a minute. 